Um, we're going to start um, week number three of this series called Mind Games this morning. And um, I want to share a mental thought pattern today. I want us to kind of walk through a mental thought pattern that's extremely unhealthy, that uh, keeps us from experiencing God's best. This series is all about um, unhealthy mindsets that, that hold us hostage from experiencing God's best. And you know that there are thoughts that plague us. There are thoughts that we struggle with that keep us uh, almost feeling imprisoned or paralyzed. Like we can't do certain things because we have certain thoughts. And this series is an attempt to just identify a few of those thought patterns and just kind of go to God's Word and ask for Him to help us to get past those. Last week we talked about fear. I encourage you to go and listen to the podcast uh, or listen to it on our website to make sure you catch that. But today we're going to talk about insecurity. And uh, many of us deal with insecurity. In fact, I would say all of us on some level have thoughts of insecurity that keep us from doing things or keep us from experiencing things that God would have for us. And, and I want to share a, a quick story. Uh, and then I want to share a quick passage of Scripture. And then we're going to kind of get into the meat of today. Let me, let me go to this Scripture first, actually. It's 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 11. It says this. This is the words of an apostle named Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. In order that Satan, our spiritual enemy, the devil, in order that Satan might not outwit us. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul is identifying here that, that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, tries to play mind games on us. He tries to outwit us. He tries to outthink us. He tries to control our thoughts or cause us to think incorrectly or in a healthy thought so that we won't experience things because he's got a scheme to keep us from seeing God move in our lives. Yesterday, uh, my family had the honor and some friends of celebrating my little, our middle child, our little boy's three-year-old birthday. Uh, he's three today, but yesterday we went to Stars and Strikes in Decula and let him play on the, uh, in the arcade and uh, got him some pizza and some drinks. And um, some of the kids got to do bumper cars, but you had to be a certain height. And unfortunately, my three-year-old wasn't tall enough to do the bumper cars. Um, but he really wanted to. And so there is this fence, if you've ever been to Stars and Strikes, there's, there's this fence with a gate um, outside of the bumper cart rink. And uh, all the kids who were tall enough got to go in, and uh, this would be like Cohen's older brother. Um, and so he got to go in, and Cohen was stuck outside of the fence. Now this is his birthday party. This is his day. We've told him today's all about you. And he wasn't tall enough, they didn't let him get on the bumper cars, and so they turned him on, and the kids were laughing and screaming and driving, and he was stuck out here, and he was just brokenhearted. And I hated to see it. I was almost that dad that was like, let me talk to a manager, we got to make an exception, like this is my kid's birthday party, but I, I didn't want to go there. So it's all said and done, and we're moving from here to the laser tag arena. Okay, And my kids have played laser tag before. They love laser tag. All the kids migrated toward the laser tag area, but not Cohen. Cohen pulled an all-out, lay on the floor, kick, scream, cry. I want in there. I want on a bumper car. I didn't get my turn. Didn't get my turn. And it's kind of loud in there, so I wasn't too embarrassed, but... I had to find a way to get my kid up off the ground. And it was either going to be like a physical altercation. I was literally going to pick him up, kick him and scream him and carry him. Or I was going to have to play with his mind. I knew his mind was set on bumper cars. And I was going to have to have a scheme. I was going to have to outwit him to cause him to want something other than bumper cars. And so after trying, come on, son, we're going to go play laser tag. Come on, you like this? Let's try that. I got down while he's crying on the ground, and I just said, I said, buddy, this is going to be the best game of laser tag you've ever played. You're going to get to shoot your brother, and you're going to get to take him out. You're going to get to chase him around. And it was just like, in his mind, he forgot about bumper cars for just a moment. And he stopped crying. If you've got young kids, you've played this game. Don't pretend you haven't tried to outwit your own kids. And I convinced him mentally to make a decision that he didn't want to make in the moment. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad, it's not manipulative to try to keep your kid from throwing tantrums, 
but it was a strategy that I had, okay? I could have just taken them to the bathroom and, you know, made it physical, right? But I decided to help change his mind. And I got to thinking, because this series was on our mind, on my mind, I got to thinking how many times are bumper cars, think of bumper cars as God's purpose for our life, as God's calling on our life, as opportunities that God's provided in our life to experience. And so many times as we wait in anticipation to be able to experience what God has, it's like the enemy, he tries to outwit us and he tries to convince us that there is something else that's better than God's best for us. If you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about, that there can be moments that we're so focused on God, we're so in love with Jesus that we just want to do everything we can for him because we love him so much. And before we know it, we're doing things, we're saying things, we're going places, we're involved in things that don't please Jesus because in our minds we got distracted. We had different thoughts. We lost focus. And so I want us to know that when we have unhealthy thoughts, that they aren't from God. That when we're held hostage by a mindset, that they're not from God. That sometimes the enemy tries to combat us with thoughts that would distract us from God's best. And he can make us think that we're enjoying the best, but really the bumper cars is what we wanted, right? It was God's best. And sometimes I want us just to learn to kind of reshift and not settle and say God's best is what I'm going to stay focused on. I'm going to stop getting mentally distracted from, from those things. And one of those mindsets is a mindset of insecurity. A mindset of insecurity. Now, I want to attempt to illustrate insecurity for you. And I could get myself in a whole load of mess here in the next few moments, but I'm going to attempt this and see what happens. It's Heather Kynes. I want to ask you to come to the stage, please. And I want to also ask my beautiful wife to come to the stage alongside her. Her name's Lindsay. Can I get you ladies to come up on stage? This is going to be good. This is going to be good. Now, just so you know, I have not forewarned them of what's about to come. But, ladies, I have a microphone in my hand, and it's on. Check one, two. See, it's on. Now, here's what I'm going to ask. Heather, would you be willing to sing a little bit of Amazing Grace for this wonderful crowd? Do you know Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rest like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Can I put you on the spot? Would you do that? Are you sure? Are you not going to be mad at me? <laughs> Let's do it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. was blind but now I see thank you so much Heather you can go back to your seat awesome and now my beautiful wife the one and only Lindsay Crawford would you come front and center please would you please sing us a little rendition of Amazing Grace? No. No. All of these people are waiting for you to sing Amazing Grace. Just I want take people mic- to stay at our church, and I want them to leave. No, seriously, though. No, seriously, no. Just sing a little bit of Amazing Grace. Do I ever sing for you, ever, in my life? No. <laughs> no. You're telling me no. 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 Okay. Well, we're not going to give you a round of applause, but you can go and have a seat. Don't do that. Now, now, why do you think Heather was willing to sing that song? Because she can sing, right? She's got a great voice. Now, I knew that she could sing. I knew she's got a great voice. That's why I chose her. 
okay? I did not tell her to practice at home before she came. I just knew that she would be willing to do it because she's got a good voice, right? Yeah. I also knew (laughs) that my beloved wife does not have a great singing voice. And I can pick at her for not having a great singing voice because I myself do not have a great singing voice. This is evidenced every time I try to sing in the car and she turns the radio off and tries to ask me a deep thought question like she's trying to distract me and get me off singing. And I always refuse. I'm like, you're trying to get me to stop singing, aren't you? And I'll turn the radio back up and I'll just let it blare and get on her nerves. But I know that my wife cannot sing very well. It's not, it's not a beautiful sound. And unlike Heather, who has a great voice, my wife was not blessed with a great voice. So on one hand, on the spur of a moment, in front of a crowd of people, a person that has a talent, that has a gift, that has a great singing voice, doesn't mind singing in front of people. Isn't that interesting? On the flip side of that coin, someone who doesn't sing very well, who doesn't have a great singing voice, refuses to do so. Do you know why? Because when it comes to singing, my wife is insecure. My wife would never want anyone to hear her singing, especially in a public setting. I'm the same way. And, and you've got things in your life that you're insecure about. Things that you may not be great at. Things that may be rooted in uh, failure or may be rooted in shortcomings or may be rooted in a lack of talent. And the things that you are great at, you don't mind performing or you don't mind putting your best foot forward. But when it comes to certain things in life, we like to kind of shy back and we like to to try to avoid people seeing the evidence of our shortcomings. So I may be in trouble when I go home tonight, but I had confidence that my wife would not sing for you. I would have just passed out if she did. And the illustration wouldn't have worked at all, so I'm glad that she didn't. But the truth is, All of us alike, we have insecurities. And from time to time, we have thoughts. And many times those thoughts dominate our thinking. And the insecurity leads to such unhealthy choices that keep us from experiencing God's best for us. What is insecurity? Simply put, insecurity is a lack of confidence or a lack of assurance. It's a lack of confidence or a lack of assurance. It's really self-doubt. That we doubt ourselves. We don't have confidence in ourselves. And so we become insecure in different areas of our life. It's a lack of confidence or it's a feeling of anxiety or uncertainty about oneself. If you ever have anxious thoughts about yourself, uncertain thoughts about yourself, you lack assurance about yourself. You need people to help give you words to convince you sometimes that you're good enough for certain things. Then you deal with insecurity. And, and we all do. I know that many of us may try to convince people that we're not insecure about things, that we're confident individuals, that, that we uh, live our lives in such a way that we don't struggle with insecurity. But I want to share with you a scripture that hopefully will give you some clarity about insecurity, but also give you some hope that you're not alone if you deal with insecurities. That if you have insecurities on your life, the mission for you moving forward isn't to hide parts of your life. It's not to avoid certain things of your life. It's not to allow those insecurities to dominate your life to the point that you don't experience freedom in Jesus But rather, it's to change your mind. It's to change your mindset. It's to get victory over this area of insecurity. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, I mentioned earlier a man named Paul. He was was an incredible leader um, in the New Testament times. He wrote over a half of the New Testament that we read today. And he wrote letters to churches that he would start. And this church in particular was a church in the city of Corinth. It was the second letter that he wrote to this same church. That's why it's called 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 12, he identifies something um, that hopefully you, like myself, can find helpful in life. And so I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to give you a statement on 
insecurity. And then we're going to talk about four or five areas where these insecurities surface. And then we're just going to pray together that God would help us change our minds and get victory in this area. Here's the passage of scripture that I'm referring to. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse number 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Because Paul was given such great gifts from God, that God's hand was upon him so much, he's identifying that that there was sent upon his life a thorn in his flesh. Many people believe that this would be a a physical ailment. Maybe it was, I don't know, maybe he walked with a limp, or maybe he suffered from some physical condition that, that was a nagging, recurring uh, health problem that he just had to live his life with us. Many of, many of us have these things that we just live with. And, and he was so uncomfortable with this condition, this thorn in the flesh, that he even refers to it as being sent from Satan to torment him. That he lived his life with this tormenting thorn in the flesh, this condition that caused him great frustration as he went about trying to do all that God called him to do. And he responded to this condition by pleading with God, not once, not twice, but three times on three separate occasions. He pled with God, please take this away from me. I've seen you do incredible miracles. I've seen you um, um, do things that are unexplainable. And I'm begging you, God, remove this from my life. Because if you remove this from my life, I will live my life in such freedom that I'll be able to do so much more for you. But for whatever reason, God didn't remove it from his life. God didn't fix his problem. He had to live with this condition, likely for the rest of his life, most scholars believe. Now, some of you may have a condition, something physical or something that you just have to live with, that you beg God to heal you of, and it hasn't happened yet, and you can relate to Paul. The way that he responds after God doesn't remove this thorn in the flesh, I think is key for you and I in dealing with insecurity in our lives. Verse number nine. But he said to me, this is God speaking back to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to choose to boast about my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses where God's grace is made known to me. If it weren't for these weaknesses in my life, I wouldn't know the grace of God like I know the grace of God. And so I'm going to choose not to gripe and complain, not to get frustrated, not to quit and give up. I'm going to choose, I'm going to make a decision to look past the insecurities that come with this. I've often wondered in reading this passage, was this an embarrassing condition that he had to deal with? Did people look at Paul and notice something about him that he was ashamed of? Did he have to live life in such a way that he struggled with thoughts of what people are thinking of him and and the opinions of others? I don't know what he went through, but for whatever reason, he pled with God to remove it. And when God didn't, he had to make a decision. His decision was to boast in the Lord because his grace was made known through this weakness. Verse number 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Let me read that again. Paul is saying, I delight, I find pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in my times of weakness that God's grace abounds in my life. And that's what makes me strong. In other words, maybe Paul came to the conclusion, maybe this is for the best that God has allowed this thorn in my flesh. 
Perhaps this is going to keep me from becoming so conceited and prideful and putting so much stock in myself that I'm going to learn to depend on God more and trust in Him more because without Him, I won't be able to live with this condition in a healthy state. And the way He began to view the thorn in the flesh gives hope to you and it gives hope to me that when we have our own thorns in the flesh, when we have our own conditions, when we have our own insecurities that we can't seem to get rid of, that we can't seem to conquer, that we can't seem to fix, that we can understand, like Paul, that there's actually strength that comes in those weaknesses. And the strength comes from understanding that God's grace is sufficient for any weakness that we have. And so the very things that we feel insecure about are the very opportunities for God's grace to be known to us. Don't we want to know God's grace? Amen. Now, we don't, we don't beg God for insecure events to happen in our life, but when they do happen, and we can't fix it and we can't change it, we can do what a lot of people do, and we can kind of crawl back into our holes, and we can hide from the world and try to pretend that this isn't true. Or we can allow God's grace to give us strength that in spite of those situations and circumstances, we can still move forward with boldness and with confidence, knowing that God's with us and that he's still for us, even though our life isn't perfect the way that we think it should be. Let me give you a statement. This isn't a profound statement. I know that because I made it up. But it's a statement that I want to be helpful for us to transition through the next few moments in our time together. And here's the statement. Insecurity grows... Insecurity, our lack of confidence, our lack of assurance, the anxiety that we have, those thoughts that keep us from experiencing God's best, it grows. Sometimes it starts small, but it gets bigger and bigger. It becomes more of a deal. It grows from a seed of desire. In other words, we want something. We aspire to have something. It's a desire to be known outside of our identity in Christ. We want to be known differently than we feel our circumstances allow. And the times that we feel most insecure are the times where we want to change things about our life. And typically the things that we want to change about our life aren't things that center us in our identity in Jesus Christ. In other words, we want to fix things so that we can look certain ways or appear certain ways or live certain ways that aren't necessary for us to experience the fullness of Jesus. In other words, it's, it's being outwitted. It's us losing focus on what's more important and, and aspiring and longing for something to change, desiring something, wanting something deeply to change, but really the thing that we're wanting isn't something that roots us in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to talk about five things. We may only get to four, but I want us to talk about five things that I believe are soils that, that this insecurity is planted in. It's a seed that grows out of, I'm going to give you five different soils that if we allow these desires for change to be different, for these desires to, grow, to be planted in these soils, they'll grow into insecurities that can sometimes be irreparable, that we can't overcome, that will paralyze us to such a degree that we can't experience any joy or peace in life. And here's the first soil that I think insecurity is planted in, and it's the soil of our past failures. It's the soil of our past failures that, like me, you've got... A history and it's not all good and there may be some choices or some decisions that people have defined you by or you have allowed yourself to be defined by or that you simply want to push away and pretend that they never happen but they did and sometimes you can't get them to go away and we carry those past failures those mistakes those bad decisions with us throughout life and we live in such a way that we don't have a confidence or an assurance in ourselves because people know about our past. There are things about my past that people know and 
And it just keeps me from living with joy and fear because it haunts me. It's like I carry this baggage with me through life, this baggage of past failures. Now, I'm, I'm going to share some things with you this morning. This isn't pity party. Don't come to me afterwards and say, oh, you're the greatest pastor ever. You know, we love you so much. You shouldn't have those thoughts. But I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be a little transparent with you this morning because I want you to understand something. I want you to understand something. When you see a pastor, a preacher on a stage, there are some people that think that pastors and preachers are perfect. They got everything figured out. And it's just not true. So I'm going to give you some hope this morning that if you struggle with insecurities, that it's okay and that there's hope for you. I've mentioned in this series that the last six months of my life have been the most difficult, mentally challenging months of my life. That I've had thoughts that I've never had before, and I've had mindsets that haven't been healthy. That's, that's really where this series generated. Last August, I had this bright idea, this revelation from God, this vision from God to come to our church and to say, we're going to kick off an initiative, and we're going to call it X2 like times two. And our goal as a church is going to be to double our church in one year. So from August till this past May, one school year, we're going to double our church. Now this, this wasn't rooted in selfishness. This wasn't like my pride and ego trying to be like, I want people to look at me as like, you know, a great pastor. This was simply, I I want to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I think there's people in this community that need hope, that are hopeless. I think there are people in this community that are just dealing with some things that, that they, they can't get past on their own. And I believe that the church is the hope of the world. And so I said, hey, I'm going I'm to kickstart this thing. We can get the church fired up about this. We're going to double the church. It's going to be awesome. And we had seven specific goals. You know, we're going to double our attendance. We're going to double our income. We're going to double our groups. We're going to double our volunteers. We're going to double it across the board. Our church is going to be so much more healthy one from year from now. Do you remember when I said this? Just imagine what church will look like. If we had double the people, double the resources, double the people serving, double the, Do you remember this? Some of you remember this. You were with us. Our church did not double in a year. No, it didn't. And not only did our church not double in the course of a year, but our church shrunk by about 30%. Now, you want to talk about a mental strain is you stand up in front of a group of people and you say, I've heard from God and we're going to kill it over this next year and God's going to do great things through us. Our church is going to double. And then not only do you not see masses of people coming, but you see people because of some unfortunate events and this and that, people leave your church and you try not to take it personal. But let me just tell you, I've had many sleepless nights God, do I even know your voice anymore? I mean, I'm sure that you put that in my heart. Why in the world would I be so naive to stand up in front of people and put such an audacious goal out and then have to live with the consequences of not only not meeting the goal, but having an inverse effect? We've all got failures, right? We're not all perfect. We don't all accomplish all of our goals. We don't all get to see everything that we want to see happen, happen. And in your past, like my past, you've got specific things that have happened that haunt you, that say you should never take a risk again. You should never stand in front of a group of people and be so audacious again. You should never repeat that and it makes you just want to kind of crawl back into a corner and just say, I don't even have what it takes to be good on my word to my own church. And I've struggled with a lack of confidence, a lack of assurance, that as the leader of this church, I'm perfectly qualified to lead. It's been difficult. 
It's been hard for me. But I'm finding more and more that it's in my moments of weakness that I'm learning to depend more on God because it's in my moments of weakness that I'm beginning to experience more of His grace than I've ever experienced before. And I've just come to know that God still loves me. He's still for me. He hasn't turned his back on me because I didn't see something that I hoped happen, happen. He's still right there beside me. And even though things look differently than I want them to look. So where does the insecurity come from in past failures? It's me having a desire. It's me having a desire to be known outside of my identity in Christ. It's me worrying more about my image of what people think about me as a leader than it is my image of who I am in Jesus Christ that makes me insecure. That's why I've had sleepless nights. It's because I've cared too much about the ramifications of not seeing goals accomplished and feeling like a failure and having shame and guilt. But that doesn't come from Christ, right? When we step into a relationship with Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, here's a little bit of guilt. Just go ahead and put that jacket on. Here's a little bit of shame. You need some of that. He doesn't do that. He strips that stuff away from us. So when I have desires that are contrary to his grace, that's where insecurity begins to grow. Here's the second soil. Weaknesses or flaws. Weaknesses or flaws. Just like my wife can't sing and she refuses to sing in front of you, we've all got things that we're not great at, right? We're procrastinators, right? We're selfish individuals. We go about things in such a way that life points out our areas of flaw. I've got flaws, you've got flaws. I'm not going to go into all of my flaws because I don't want this to become a pity party. Hopefully you'll understand that. But when I allow my weaknesses and my flaws, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, to dominate my thinking in such a way that I can only imagine peace and joy in life if this weren't the case, if I didn't have this weakness, if I didn't have this flaw, that's where my desire for an identity outside of Christ breeds insecurity. Right? You've had people point out things. People know your weaknesses. They know your flaws. And when those weaknesses and flaws become known, that's when we want to retreat. We want to hide. And the insecurity begins to dominate our lives. But it's the very weaknesses that we have that are the very areas that allow God's grace to make us strong. And I want to teach you this morning that if there's a way of living life with weaknesses, that we don't have to pretend we're something we're not, that we can just say, I'm not good at something, so I'm not going to sing. Right? I'm not going to live life just saying, God, if I could only sing, you know, life would be awesome. If I could just be a rock star, it'd be awesome. If you can't sing, you can't sing. Don't hold a microphone and, and pretend that you can. It's a weakness. It's an area for you to say, God, your grace is going to make me strong, and I'm going to allow my strengths to rise through God's grace instead of focusing so much on my weaknesses and my flaws. It's what Paul learned. It's what we've got to learn. We have a desire to be known outside of our identity in Christ. Insecurity grows. And those weaknesses can dominate our thinking. And we can just spend so much energy and effort on trying to fix our weaknesses when God's saying, I've got grace for that. That's actually where you're going to know my grace more, and that's what's going to make you strong. The third area is others' opinions. Others' opinions is a soil that insecurity can be planted in. I know this because my first year ever riding a school bus, I had a middle school kid make fun of how big my nose was, and I still, to this day, am a little self-conscious about having a big nose. 
People's words weigh heavy on us. And they shouldn't. When people say things about you that may or may not be true, it's hurtful. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt. It's a lie. I've been hurt by words. I've had words hit me upside the head and knock me unconscious. I mean, I'm talking about major pain. I know what it is for people to speak of me in a way that is untrue or misrepresenting. I know what it is for people to criticize me about decisions that I've made. I know what it is for for people to wish for me to fail. I know what it is for people to long to see me not become anything that I want to become. That would be their greatest satisfaction would be my downfall. I know what that feels like and it doesn't feel good. I know what it is for people to pick up a phone and call people and people believe things that were said and refuse to even have a conversation with me about the issue and just believe things that they want to believe. And I also know what it is to make mistakes and there be legitimate basis for people's criticism and it still hurts equally. I've been a student pastor that have had parents look me in the eyes and tell me how unqualified I was to be in ministry, that I have no right leading people. I know what it is to have people that I look up to tell me that I don't have what it takes to do certain things. And you do too. There are words that haunt you, that you just play over and over in your mind. Because someone said something hurtful and you just can't shake it. And if you allow it, if I allow it, it'll become a soil that will cultivate seeds of desire to be known outside of Christ. The truth is, the greatest leader to ever walk upon this planet, the Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ, was criticized. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He knew more than I will ever know that words hurt. And yet he still walked in the strength of God. It doesn't matter what people think of you or say about you or how they treat you. We've got such a culture in our world today of bullying that we see people that are dealing with the ramifications of people's words to them. In Christ... We have everything we need to have peace and joy in this life. And when we live in such a way that we just want people to like us, we just want people to say good things about us, we want to stop people from saying bad things about us, we want to change everything just to make people happy. If we live like that, we'll live miserable lives, void of God's grace and His peace, Because we're elevating the opinions of others over the opinion of God. And I've just decided over the last six months, it's not even worth worrying about, that there are just some people that are just going to be some people. And you've got them in your life too. And you've got to choose to believe that God loves you. And he's provided hope for you. And in him... You're the son of a king. You're the son, you're the you're the brother or the sister of Jesus Christ, that you're joint heirs with him, that God in heaven has adopted you as a son or a daughter. It doesn't matter what people say about you, if you're confident in who you are in Christ. And we've got to learn, we've got to learn not to allow the opinions of others to dominate our thinking, to keep us from experiencing God's best. Because if we do, we'll never get anywhere in life. Comparison to others. Comparison to others is a soil that insecurity can be planted in and grow out of. You ever looked at someone in your same profession and just said, man, they've got it all together. Look how successful they are. 
Look what great things they're doing. And me, well, not so much. Not so much. If we allow ourselves to be compared to others, we'll live life in a trap that will it'll dominate your thinking. It'll make you insecure. It'll strip away any confidence that you have in who you are. Because there's always someone that's better than you, worldly speaking. Right? There can only be one greatest of all in any category. Right? There's only one greatest of all basketball player in the history of the world. There's opinions on who that is. But there's got to be one that's the greatest. And everyone else may aspire to be the greatest. But if you're not that one individual, then someone is better than you. There is one greatest businessman. There's one greatest person in your field. There's going to be that individual that you look at and you always need to know that no matter how great you think you are, there's always someone better. And if you're going to compare yourselves to others, you're always going to have room for improvement. It's not a, it's not a bad way to look at life, but it can also be extremely unhealthy. But because when we feel like failures because we're not the greatest, it breeds insecurity. When we just want to be known for doing something great, when we just want to be known for our accomplishments, when we just want to be known, we want to be identified by our successes, by being better than others, by having successes that outweigh the successes of others, that our accolades are more numerous than our colleagues. It's a desire to be known outside of Christ. Because Paul says, I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, he is made strong. See, the person that's rooted in Christ understands the only thing really worth bragging about in life is Jesus. He's the only great thing in all of the world. Everything else is temporary, right? Any trophy that you get, any bonus that you accrue, it's temporary. Yet, we allow our minds to be dominated by, man, there's so much better than me. And let me tell you, as a pastor, this is difficult. When you look around at other churches that you feel are more successful than your own, and you look to their leaders and think, you know, what are they doing that I'm not? You know, how can I be more like them? If you're aspiring to be more like someone else, then you can't become who God wants you to be because there's only one you. So if you're trying to be someone else, then you're going in the wrong direction. And I've just learned, I've just learned, it's been a long six months, I've learned a lot. I've just learned that who I am in Christ is enough for me. If I'm never the most successful pastor in my own eyes, then I'm just going to live life as not the most successful pastor in my own eyes. And I'm okay with that. But when I begin to see myself as God sees me, I see someone who has everything given to me to do everything God's called me to do. And it may not look like I want it to look, but I can be confident that God will lead me to doing everything that he's called me to do or he wouldn't have called me to do it. And the same is true for your life. You don't have to be like someone else. If you constantly live your life looking at other people and thinking, man, I'm not good enough. You know, they're so much better than me in this area. Then you lose the confidence that you have in Christ. And you lose the assurance to live life in peace. And lastly, performance. Performance. And I want to make this specific in the area of performance when it comes to our relationship with God. I'm not talking about your performance at work. I'm not talking about your performance as a mother or a father. I'm not talking about your performance as a husband or a wife. I'm talking about your performance as a Christian. See, there's this mindset that says we have to do the right things and be good enough for God to love us. 
and when we don't do the right things and we don't feel like we're good enough, then we lose the confidence that God loves us. And you need to know this morning that God loves you no matter what. I know this because the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why would he give his life for you when you weren't even trying to live for him if he didn't love you? And now that you follow him, you may make mistakes. You may not live the perfect life that you want to live, but it doesn't mean he stops loving you. It's just room for his grace to refine you and reshape you and mold you to become who he wants you to become. You don't have to be good enough for your heavenly father to love you. Some people don't understand this because they didn't have an earthly father or an earthly mother that gave them compliments or that gave them words of affirmation. And they never felt like they were good enough for daddy. They felt like they were never good enough for mama. But your heavenly father isn't like that. You don't have to perform for him. Your performance mentality, spiritually speaking, is a soil in which a seed of insecurity grows out of, and that seed is simply a desire for life outside of who we are in Christ. If you could be good enough, you wouldn't need Jesus. But you're not good enough, so you do need him. So stop trying to be good enough for him because he's already given himself for you. He knows you're not good enough. Allow his grace to be sufficient for you and rest in the assurance of his love. It's unconditional. It's not based on your performance or your decisions. It's based on his decision to give his life for you. And you can never outrun his love and you can never lose his love. You can never find yourself in a place where God doesn't love you. Can't do it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for for you. I want to pray for us. And I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of Psalms. I want to read it over you. I'm not going to stop and give you details. I'm not going to give you context. I'm not going to talk about different parts in this scripture. I just want to read it over you and allow you just to receive this. So here's how I want to end. And this will be difficult for some of us because we may be insecure. But that's the point. If you would say, I've allowed myself to have a a seed of desire that has grown into this desire to be known for something outside of Christ. It's dominated my thinking. I haven't felt good enough. My past has haunted me. Others' opinions have just dominated my thinking. I constantly compare myself to others. I, I think I have to perform great for God. And I've just lost confidence in me. I've just, I've just come to a place where I feel like I've just I've been held hostage by thoughts of insecurity. Whether it's, whether it's based on how you look or a personality or something in your past or the decisions you make. Numerous areas that we could talk about. But if you would just say, I want you to pray for me that today God would just set me free from those areas of insecurity. I want God to change my mind that I can be assured that his love for me is enough, that Jesus is enough for me, that if you take everything else in the world away and I still have Jesus, my life is worth living. If you struggle with insecurity, would you just stand with me and let me read this scripture over you and just say a word of prayer that God would just set you free from that mentality. Would you just would you just close your eyes? I'm going to read this passage. It's Psalm chapter 96. So, sorry, Psalm chapter 91. Just close your eyes, and as I read this, would you just, just allow it 
to be read over you. And just, just receive these words. Psalm 91, starting in verse number 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will not tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, Father, in you, may we begin to trust and have confidence in who you are. And all of the thoughts of insecurity that point out our failures and our mistakes and others' opinions and our bad performances, may they just fall at our feet. May you protect us from those thoughts. I speak to the enemy who may be trying to outwit us, who has schemes to lead us away from God's best. You have no place in the mind of those who follow Christ. And we will stand victorious in Jesus with a boldness and a confidence, confidence to move forward in him. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. We are loved by the Almighty. He has given us hope and a future. We have every reason to live our lives with confidence because of what he's done for us. And maybe opinions and the thoughts and the disappointments that haunt us be removed forever from our minds. And may we walk in the grace of God, believing that in our weaknesses, He is made strong. Let us boast in our shortcomings. Let us boast in our difficulties. Let us boast in those areas that tend to make us insecure because it's those very areas that teach us that we have to depend on God, that His grace is enough for us. And we will believe, Lord, that if everything in this world is taken from us, if we still have you, we have a reason to live. And we have hope. And we have a future. May you bless your people. In Jesus' name, I pray.